It's going to be amazing. Just so you know, I'm talking in my message today about commitment. So this is not like, I didn't pair that on purpose, but if you miss Focus 2019, you're going to miss. And I have no clue when this thing is going to sell out, but I'm pretty sure it's going to sell out. Just the size of the church, the numbers are pretty easy, the growth of the church, all of those things. So get in on that today. It's going to be incredible to see what God does as we're away in the Redwoods together. Um, just you know, guitars out under the stars, kids having a blast, sharing food together, all kinds of things like that. Um, the staff team dominating the rest of you in three-on-three basketball. Will's on my team, all right? It's just feed, <laughs> feed him the ball. Feed him the ball. If you guys aren't familiar, Will Mraz is our family pastor, six foot five, and uh, we're ready. So we'll be practicing over the next nine months. But whatever it is that you think you would enjoy, and by the way, sometimes some of you are like, oh, Ben, I just don't do camping. I don't either. We're in cabins. There, yes, there are bunk beds. But remember, if you want to have a great vision, you've got to pay the price. So the great vision is community. The price is bunk bed. Okay? More on that. If you want to get the link sent to you right now, like in this moment, just text this keyword, Focus Retreat to 313131 right now, and you will go ahead and be sent a link on that. You can literally, you can tune out for the first five minutes of my talk if you need to, and go back to, or you can go back to it later today, but this is going to be a can't miss event for all of our church, May 17th through 19th, 2019, and uh, I do think it will, I do think it absolutely will sell out. So um, what are, 500 or so of us can go? Yeah, it's going to sell out. So I would jump on that as soon as, soon as you can, which is great. Um, we've been in a series on intimacy that we've been calling What Comes Between Us. And uh, it's been so great to hear how this series is helping so many of you. Lots of feedback, even from around the world, about how this intimacy series has been helpful. And so I want to remind you, everything we do content-wise from Sunday, it's all on our website. So all five of the talks after today will be on there. The other four are already there. Um, is you run into things with friends, colleagues, even if they aren't faith people, but you hear them going through some relational stuff. Yes, I hope you will find spiritual components, but I think there's a lot of practical helps that we've tried to give throughout this series on intimacy. And today we put this series to bed. And so I hope that you're excited about just listening and leaning in today. I believe today could be a game changer for so many of us when it comes to intimacy. There have never been more options in the history of the world than there are today. Would you agree? Like, there, like just, just think about cable television and Netflix, okay? Let's just go there. Like, you can either watch something on your TV or spend those 30 minutes figuring out which channels you have. Right? And I'm like, I just want to, I'm pretty simple-minded, and so I, I just want three or four channels to know where the ball game is, to know where this is, know where that is. And then, you know, when you live in a house with five others and you only have one TV, they think channel surfing is worth their time. I'm like, turn that off. Give it to me. You know what I mean? If you go to Netflix, you can either watch a show that you think you would enjoy or just spend all of your time figuring out what you would watch because there's so many options when it comes to that. But really, when I think about options, an amazing thing to think about is the number of transportation options that exist in San Francisco. Like, if you think about options when it comes to transportation around here, you can drive your car. You can use get around and drive someone else's car. You can take a zip car. You can hop in an Uber or a Lyft. You can ride your bicycle. You can ride one of those Ford bicycles. How many of you with your significant other or roommate, you're trying to figure out, should we buy our own or how does it work out? You, you can, yeah, exactly. You, you can take a scooter. You can take a moped. You can take a motorcycle. You can ride a skateboard. You can choose if you want to do all the work yourself on the skateboard or if you just want to electronically get yourself there. 
right? You, you can take a Muni bus. You can take a Muni light rail. You can take a company bus if you're so privileged. Don't gloat, just saying. You, you can take Caltrain. You can take BART. You can take the ferry. Or you can just walk there. Pretty amazing, isn't it? That we have so many options today when it comes to everything. And I believe so much of the time having options is quite a blessing. But here's what I also believe when it comes to intimate friendships and relationships. If we insist on keeping our options open, we're going to miss out on the intimacy God designed us for and the intimacy I think most of us actually want. We're going to keep ourselves from getting in on the intimacy that we actually desire because we want to live life relationally by keeping all of our options wide open. Guys, we've given ourselves permission to opt out of anything that doesn't do exactly what we want it to do for us when we want it to do it. So we're opting out of our jobs. We're opting out of friendships. We're opting out of marriages. We're opting out of church communities. And we're opting out of being a part of a community in a city. And sometimes you should opt out, right? If there's uh, abuse in the relationship, opt out. If there are illegal activities going down at the office, please opt out. If you find yourselves in a church community that distorts the voice of God, opt out. And there are also these times where God will call us into something new. But remember, whenever God's calling you into something or you're headed into something different, let it be because God's leading you into something, not merely away from something. And God will, he will call us into new church communities or call us to a new job or he'll even call us to a new city. If you're watching online from somewhere else, he may be calling you to this city. If you're in the room, he's probably not calling you to a different city. The dominant message in our world is Whatever you do, keep your options open. You, you never know what's going to come along. Yeah, be sort of committed, but make sure you have an opt-out clause, right? If you follow um, sort of sports at all, or even if you follow a lot of people, what's happening now, and I'm not saying it's a terrible idea completely, but even when it comes to the way people are talking to me about prenuptials right now, very, very interesting. Um, I told Shauna I didn't have anything when we got married, and I wouldn't have anything if we weren't married. So, uh, you know, like, I don't have anything to give you. Like, there's no need for uh, any any prenup, but we're, we're leaving ourselves this opportunity to keep all of our options open. And so what I want to do today is give you an alternative because I think I know what God wants for you in this area. And I even believe I know what we want for ourselves in this area. So I'm not sure if you can guess the title of my talk for today, but here it is. Keeping your options closed, keeping your options closed. Here's a default reality that all of us actually live with. Here it is. We want maximum reward for minimum commitment. Let me say that again. You're like, some of you are ready to argue with me. No, Ben, I'm willing to. I'm just telling you where your default is, okay? In your marriage, this is your default, right? In every way, this is your default. You want maximum reward for minimum commitment. We want this when it comes to our physical bodies, don't we? Just me? Like, we want to eat whatever we want. And some of you are like, Ben, no, I really like the taste of that. You do not like that rabbit food. Stop lying. <laughs> You don't, you don't. Yeah, if I had a choice, if a chocolate donut was the same caloric, you would not. Stop. We want to eat whatever we want. We want to barely exercise and yet look like a supermodel or a star athlete, right? So my birthday this year was April 11th. If you have a calendar out, it'll probably be the same time next year. So on April 11th, uh, the staff team that loves me so much, they, they gave me a gift. 
and super generous for them to give me a gift. And so I, I opened my gift. Have you ever given someone a birthday gift with a subtle message behind it? Anybody? So what they gave me were three free sessions with a personal trainer. Like, Pay attention, people. For what? How are you going to improve this? Like, what are you telling me? Not so subtle. Okay, okay. So, you know, it takes me three months to reach out to the personal trainer, even though he's a friend. You know, he's like, when are we going to do that, Ben? I'm like, I don't know. I'm just so busy. And uh, finally, uh, on a Friday in July, just last month, we, I, I sign up for, for the lesson. We find a time. It's like 6 a.m. We're going for it. But, uh, you know, in, in this world, you, you can't just sign up and go for it. He's like, you need to fill out this intake form. And basically, he needed to know if there's anything he was going to ask me to do that would kill me. I'm like, I don't know. What are you going to ask me to do? And then he asked this question that dumbfounded me. He said, what are your goals? I didn't know anyone ever went to the gym for more than the obvious one goal. So he thought I was being funny or facetious. I just said, I want to look awesome. Like, what else do you go to the gym for? Like, well, my doctor said that I'm pre-diabetic or, or you know what? They said, if I don't live, like, dude, I don't care about anything other than looking amazing. And I want to put in just enough time, right, to, to, to look amazing. But, you know, it's funny. We do this all over the place. We do it when it comes to school or work. We want straight A's. We want the scholarships, right? We, we, we want a huge salary. We want all of the bonuses. But we prefer just to put in just enough work, but not too much work. And you can guess my major example on this is what we're talking about in this series. Here's what I know to be true in this room, unless you're the one or two outlier in this room we want close, connected relationships. Uh, am I tracking? Am I right, at least in our desire? We, 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 want, we want life-giving, incredibly satisfying relationships. I believe that. I believe in our relationship with God. I hope we want that. I believe that when it comes to our human relationship, I don't have a doubt about what we want, but I do have a doubt about what we're willing to do to get it. I said again, I, I don't doubt that you... Um, have bad intentions. Like, I don't doubt that you have good intentions and, and desires for what you want in your relational world, but I do doubt for me and even for you, if I'm honest, if we're willing to put in what it takes. Because what we want is for this thing called intimacy to be really, really easy. But, but here's what you've got to know. True intimacy will never exist apart from deep commitment. True intimacy will never exist apart from deep commitment. So it's kind of like me getting into shape. I've got to ask myself, Ben, not only do you want to look great, but do you want to pay the price? And this is true if you're raising kids. This is true if you want to give your best at the company. This is true if you're serving in our church. Hey, I want to do that, but am I willing to have that kind of deep commitment that it's going to take to have the intimacy that I long for? This is absolutely true in our relationship with God and each other. True intimacy will never come apart from deep commitment. This is why, in case you get tired of us doing this, this is why our church, we're always collectively asking you, hey, um, are you ready to make a faith commitment to Jesus? You're like, Ben, why do you keep doing that? We keep doing that because we want you to have intimacy with him, and we've learned you can't have it without commitment. We want you to know him. And some of you are like, Ben, I, I know all about him. I've read the Bible maybe even more than you. That, like, that's great for starters. 
But that's not the end game. That's not our end game for you. And that's not Jesus's end game for you either. He said this as he was praying in John chapter 17. It's called the high priestly prayer. It's kind of the, the prayer to, to, to his father. Just that, that close, intimate, um, conversational prayer between Jesus and the father. And, and he says in John 17, 3, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you and that they may know your son whom you sent. He's like, and when he says no, he's not saying information. Jesus is not interested in you getting 100% on some kind of academic objective test. What he's really interested in, though, is you experientially knowing him in a closely connected way. So we will continue to ask you, hey, are you ready to make a faith commitment to Jesus? Because we want you to have the intimacy he longs to have with you. So that's our why behind our ask. There was a day where Elijah the prophet was on Mount Carmel. It's not our main idea for the day, but I just want to set us on a path. He's on Mount Carmel and he's noticing something very odd to him. He, he sees that there are people that are kind of half-heartedly worshiping God. And there are people who are half-heartedly worshiping Baal, another God, a, a little G God, at least for our understanding and beliefs here. And he says to them this, Elijah went before, this is 1 Kings eighteen twenty one. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Bell is God, follow him. Now, he's doing two things. He's being very spiritual, but he's also just being rational. He's just going, if A is true, then B should follow. Everybody understands that kind of rationale and reasoning. He's saying, if the Lord is God, like if he's the God of the universe, why would you sort of be halfway in and casual about it? And if Bell is the true God, why would you just be in with him a little bit? He's essentially saying, like, why are you keeping your options open when it comes to who you're going to worship? If the Lord is God, let's get all in. If he's not, let's don't be in at all. Jesus says something similar in Revelation 3, where he's sick of the church being lukewarm. He's, he's sick of us kind of being in a little bit. And part of it, I think, is tied to this. He's like, you, you can't really know me and live this full life I have for you if you don't have some sense of commitment. And so Elijah asked a question that is similar to the question I want to ask us. It's this, how long will you keep your options open before you fully commit your life to Jesus? I want to repeat it, but first I want to tell you, in case you're not getting the tone, I want you to hear that this is not a harsh tone. This is not you better tone. This is not, hey, we're going to turn up the pressure. Not doing that at all. It's just me asking you as though we were over coffee. Hey, how long? How long are you going to waver between following him like you say you want to some days and then other days being like, no, I don't think so. How long are you just going to attend on Sunday and feel like that's enough? How long are you going to be casual about this? I'm asking you like, what, what does Jesus have to do to prove to you he's worth more than a half-hearted commitment? What does he need to do on his end? And what I would love to do if we were sitting down over coffee is go, hey, let me show you how he actually has answered that with his own commitment. How he's done this thing called covenant keeping with you and with all of us ever since the beginning of time. How long? How long? So that's what it looks like in our relationship with Jesus himself. Like we can't have intimacy. And some of you, what I love about our church and what you might not be familiar with is one of the startling things about our church. And one of the things I love the most is how many non-Christians are in our gatherings every single Sunday. It would surprise you unless you are one of them. And you know, a lot of other people who aren't yet people of faith in Jesus. And so I love that you're here. I love the friendship that I have with so many of you. I love that you found a place to belong even before you believe. But just from my heart to yours as your pastor, just going, hey, what, what else do you need? What does Jesus need to prove? What does he need to show you? If he is the Lord, let's follow him. Because I want you to gain the intimacy 
that's on the other side of your commitment to him. So that's what it looks like with him. What does it look like when it comes to our relationships with other human beings? Now, if you have your Bible, I want to go to Ruth chapter 1. If you have the YouVersion app, everything's there. If you just want to watch the screens, you'll see them there. In a moment, I'm going to look at Ruth 1, 14 through 18. But I want to set some context for you so you know what it is that we're actually walking into today. And, I, and then you're just going to see this massive commitment being thrown down by Ruth herself. So uh, around 1000 BC or so, there was a woman named Naomi. Naomi was from Bethlehem. And because there was a famine in the land of Bethlehem, there needed to, they needed to go somewhere else. And so Naomi, along with her husband and her two sons, they leave Bethlehem and they go to Moab. And while they're there in Moab, Naomi's husband dies. And 10 years later, both of her sons die. So just picture the scene. Naomi is now a widow. She's not living in Bethlehem. She's far from Bethlehem in Moab. Her husband's dead. Her two sons are dead. So now she's a widow. And so are her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. Okay, if you're playing at home, Orpah and Ruth. You're like, Ben, why did nobody go with Orpah? We'll find out in just a moment. And she gets word that God is now providing food again for his people in Bethlehem. So she's like, all right, Moab, see you later. She's headed back home. But before she leaves, she says to her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, hey, girls, here's the thing. You need to go back to your mother's home. And I pray that the Lord will give you another husband. And they're like, no, we're not going back. And she's like, yes, you need to go back. And she urges them, return home. I want you to see their responses. And let's learn a ton about this issue of commitment. Stand with me. So again, she's just said, return home. She's talked about her mourning and how it's been troubling for her and she's bitter. And, and, and here was their response. At this, they, the daughters-in-law and Naomi wept aloud. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. I love this commentary here. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Have a seat. I hope that your mind will be blown in this moment as we look at this text as mine has been in the study. And then go and read through. It's just four chapters of Ruth. You could do it before you go to bed tonight. It's fascinating what happens. But for our purposes today, I really want to hone in on the commitment that Ruth makes in this moment. Before we look at Ruth's massive commitment, I want us just to talk about Orpah. I think we need to start with her by saying this. Orpah did nothing wrong in this moment. She did nothing wrong. She did nothing sinful. She did nothing evil. She did nothing wicked. She didn't choose an unwise plan. She did what made sense to her. She went back home. Right? She, she went back home. So in case you're like, what an Orpa? She's good. But I do want to focus in on Ruth's commitment. So Naomi, she's like, what Naomi does is really fascinating. She, she invites the girls to opt out. Do you notice that? She invites the girls to opt out. And you and I, if we're not aware, I want to make you aware, there are all kinds of voices encouraging us to opt out of our commitments. The dominant voice in culture tells us to opt out. Legally, we can opt out of almost every commitment we've ever made. 
trying to think of the commitments that I've made personally. Yeah, I think legally we can opt out of almost every commitment that we've ever made. And you and I will even have well-meaning family and friends tell us that we should opt out of certain commitments, right? And so Naomi invites them, hey, opt out, go back, go get a husband. You need to be in Moab where you're from, because if you come with me, it's not going to go well. And again, verse 14, it says that Orpah kissed Naomi goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Ruth does physically what she's going to do relationally forever. Let me give it to you again. Ruth does physically what she's going to do relationally forever. She clung to her. I'm not asking you if you're clingy, but are you in the right relational commitment way clinging to people in your life? She's like, what's good for Orpah? That's fine. Nothing wrong with Orpah, but you are stuck with me, Naomi. Where you go, so will I. When you stop, I will stop. Your people, my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I'll be buried too. And then she makes a commitment that is not a commitment I'm even ready to make. Listen to what she says. Here's how in she is with Naomi. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely if I don't hold up my end. I mean, I'm all about till death do me part, but may the Lord deal with me. It's pretty impressive, isn't it? You want to know what commitment? She's like, God, I'm making a commitment before you. If I don't hold up my end of what I've just told Naomi, take me out severely. Like, Ben, why would she do that? Because she had resolved that she was all in forever. What kind of resolve do you have? I love what it says about Naomi in 18. She's like, when she realized that Ruth wasn't going to stop, she's like, okay, okay. Has anyone in your life come to realize that you're determined to go with them wherever and through whatever? I'm going to keep asking until I feel like we're, we're honing in on, yes, my answer, Ben, I'm, I want this to be true. Has anyone, just, so we're just going, it just has to be one, I'm going to ask them for 16. Has anyone in your life come to the realization that you are determined to go with them, come hell or high water, come loss of financial help, come loss of your health or their health? Have they come to realize, have you been able to convince them yet that whatever is coming and wherever it leads, you're in? Anybody in your life owning that reality? Because you've made it so crystal clear. And by the way, without the test of commitment, we just think we know something about intimate relationships. Let me give you a truth that, let me see the appropriate language. I'll just say it's that stinks on the one hand, but it's just true. Without your commitment being tested, you don't have the kind of intimacy with the person you think you do. You might have the warm fuzzies. You might have a lot of passion in the relationship. But the reason that Shauna and I have the intimacy we have today, and we want to keep moving towards more of it, is because of the commitment tests have come at us over these last 18 years. Less than two years in, my mom dies. Right? Over eight years ago, we decided to move here. Can we do this? We spent three years in a waiting process in the adoption situation in India. And... Wow, you guys are all amazing. Being your pastor isn't the easiest thing on earth. But what's harder is being married to him. Just telling it like it is, okay? 
So over and over again, we've had that commitment test, which means we have a more intimate relationship than you do if you haven't had those tests. Just the way it works. It's just the way it works. But I want to say this. Commitment is costly, but it leads to priceless intimacy. Commitment is costly. This is, right, maximum reward, minimum effort. I don't have that to offer you today. I would do you a disservice if I was like, hey, this is pretty cake. Being committed to people, real people, being committed to your God or true Lord of your life. Like, this is really costly. But there's something on the back end that I know you want. And so I'm saying go through with it. Commitment is costly, but it leads to priceless intimacy. Did Ruth's commitment cost her something? Like, as far as we know, she's never going back home. She may never marry again, which means she's never going to bear children. It costs her something. She doesn't know Bethlehem. Remember, her husband met her when he came to Moab. She hasn't been to Bethlehem, best we know. It's costly. And I think at this point, we've got to talk about this word called freedom. And what I want to do is I want to juxtapose how we think about freedom with what I believe true freedom is. So with how you and I traditionally think about the word freedom, does Ruth give up her freedom? Yes. She's not free to be in Moab if she's in Bethlehem. She's not free to go that direction if Naomi's going this direction because she told God to strike her down if she doesn't go the direction of Naomi. She's not free with how we typically think about freedom. But I would say in what she has and her commitment to Naomi, she has a freedom that people who kept their options open wouldn't have had. I mean, the intimacy that Shauna and I enjoy today, you might say, Ben, like, you guys gave up your freedom. And to some degree, we did. Right? I mean, you know, we're not free. You, you know. Yeah. We're, we're, not, we're not free to go enter into other relationships of this kind. We're not. We're not free to see what it would be like to spend the life with so-and-so. We're We're not. We kept our options closed in this regard. And so we've lost some freedom, maybe, but we have a freedom that if you don't know that depth, you could never know the freedom. Back end of commitment. I would say even our family and our relationship with San Francisco as a city and the Epic Church community, it's a commitment we've never made before. The commitment we're living in now, and again, I've not signed 30-year contracts, but we've been here over eight years. We don't think we're going anywhere. Oh, there'd be applause, but uh, whatever. As long as you guys can't fire me, whatever. But it does, like, so in our adult lives, we've never lived anywhere longer, really by far. And um, so we've given up some freedoms, right? Because we, we can't live in San Francisco and live in London at the same time. And, and, uh, and we can't be so committed to this church and get to be a part of other amazing church communities. Like, we can't, you just can't do that. Um, and our kids, like, they, you know, assuming what we think is true is true. Like, eight years from now, when the, when the youngest is 18, that's crazy. When the youngest is 18, like, we won't have been able to say, hey, we had all of these different childhood places for you to live in. We will only be able to say, hey, you, you had your childhood in San Francisco. Sorry you weren't free to have it everywhere else. But in this commitment to this place and to you as a people, we have a freedom we've never known. We're we're free to dream big. We're free to lock arms with people who are going to do this a long time together. 
We're free. John Ortberg in his book, I'd Like You More, If You Were More Like Me, says, commitment can be frightening because it means the loss of options. So let's call commitment what it is. It's frightening, right? 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 I mean, all of you, you, you know, like if you commit to this job, you can't work that job. If you commit to this man, ladies, you can't work. If you commit to this man, you can't commit to another man. It's costly. But I think freedom's found there. So Ortberg's right. He's like, commitment can be frightening because you lose your options. But I want to ask you a question. It's not a rhetorical question, but please don't answer it out loud. Do you want options or do you want intimacy? Don't rush past that answer. Do you want options or do you want intimacy? Because you can't have both. The reason our vision statement is we want to be a people orient our, orienting our entire lives around Jesus is because we believe we were made for this. We believe you were made for this even if you don't believe it. And we will continue to urge you, hey, intimacy is the goal. Commitment is a means to an end, and it's a massive means to an incredible end. And so we urge you towards it. I think a fair question we would ask at this moment is, okay, Ben, we're supposed to be so committed. Tell me about God's commitment. Is he keeping his options open? Is God sitting around in my relationship with him waiting for someone else better to come along? The word covenant, at least how it's translated in the English language, God's idea. The word covenant is something God enters into before we have the chance to. And Paul, writing to his protege Timothy about this issue of covenant and commitment, he says this about us and God, which is fascinating. 2 Timothy 2.13, he says, If we are faithless... He remains faithful. Listen to that. If you're faithless, if you actually can't keep your commitments perfectly, if you are faithless, he's still faithful. He remains faithful. Why? For he cannot disown himself. He cannot be untrue to his character. There's a verse you may have heard before, or some version of it. It's Hebrews 13, 8. It says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, today. And forever. And sometimes when you hear that, you might think, like, is he a statue? Like, is he just, there's no movement there? Is he just an institution? Is he a monument? Absolutely not. What is the Hebrew writer saying? He's saying that when it comes to his character, when it comes to his commitment to you, when it comes to his faithfulness, when it comes to him going all in and staying the course forever over the long haul, he's faithful. But you know what we've said about intimacy? It takes two to tango. While you might need to question your commitment and I might need to question my commitment, he's telling us you never need to question my commitment. Just for fun, what do you think happens on the back end of Ruth's commitment? Ruth lives out her commitment to Naomi. They go back to Bethlehem. In a fascinating way that I invite you to read, she gets an incredible husband whose name is Boaz. Boaz and Ruth, they have a son. His name is Obed. And Obed has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David, that David. And if you keep tracing the generations down the line, eventually you get to the one who was born in the stable, who came to save the world. Now, without getting too deep theologically, I just want to wonder what might have happened 
what might have happened if Ruth never went with Naomi to Bethlehem? Guys, you never know what's on the back end of your commitment. You're like, Ben, I know that's why I don't make it. Hold on. <laughs> like, Ben, that's why I'm so noncommittal. This guy keeps asking me, this job keeps telling me. I just, oh, I'm fear of commitment. God can be trusted. Choose your commitments wisely. I'm not telling you to, listen to this. I'm not telling you to be committed to everyone equally. I'm not. Jesus wasn't as a man on earth. But imagine what's on the other side of your commitments. Don't die and leave this earth with the what if game in your mind. What if I'd actually lived it out? What if I'd actually gone deeper in my commitments? If not, you're going to miss out and the world's going to miss out. So I want to ask you a question that I hope you see is super practical, but I think it could be super helpful. Again, it's not rhetorical. I want you to actually write someone's name down, or maybe a couple of people's name. Here's the question. Who do you need to make a commitment to, renew your commitment to, or deepen your commitment to? Really, I want your phones out, unless it's just obvious. Or you're using pen and paper. Like who, who, who is the answer to that question? Who do you need to make a commitment to, renew a commitment to, or deepen your commitment to? And let's just start with Jesus. It'd be a great place to start. Is he the answer to, the, to any of those questions for you? Like, hey, you've been doing the church thing for a while. You've even been a big part of the epic community. Maybe you even serve, but you're like, okay, Ben, I've just been wavering forever. Elijah was right. I need to make a decision. Today, I'm making that decision. Let's write that on your card. We'd love to walk through that commitment with you. But who are the people? Who do you need to renew a commitment to? And you might say, Ben, according to the marriage license, it says we are committed. I'm not talking about a marriage license. I'm talking about reality. Or, or, or according to my responsibility, I am her father. Or I am his mother. I'm not asking you how you're related by blood. I'm asking you, do you need to renew a commitment to somebody? And for some of you, maybe it's a church community and perhaps it's not even this one. Maybe you're wavering between two church communities and until you commit to one of the two, you will not have the intimate connections you're supposed to have. That's epic. Awesome. If it's another great church in the city, Awesome. True intimacy will never exist apart from deep commitment. It's time to raise our game when it comes to commitment. All of us. It's time to keep opting in and stop opting out. And it's time to stop waiting for something better to come along. I know what the world wants you to believe. Just keep your options open. In some ways you should. I don't know what I'm doing tonight. My options are open. But I know who I'm committed to. And I intend to deepen those commitments. You? God, I thank you for this moment. Thank you for what you're stirring in the hearts of people, God. I pray that it's deeply spiritual and yet we really apply practically what we've heard today. God, you created us for intimacy. We said that day one. Week two, he said that sometimes we get in the way because we don't take ownership for our part. Week three, Will did a great job saying that um, what's coming between us are the unmet expectations we have for each other. And then last week we said, if you settle for false intimacy, you miss out on true intimacy. And God, today we're saying you've shown us that there's no intimacy without commitment. So God, would you help us to make commitments? Would you help us to renew commitments? God, would you help us to deepen our commitment? 
And God, could we trust you with our commitment, knowing the blessing of intimacy waiting for us on the back end? I'm going to ask you to stand as Brad gets ready to lead us. And this is a song, like so often at this time, we call it like a response time, but I want you to just receive this moment as an invitation. This invitation, just saying, Jesus saying, hey, come to me. Like, understand who you are. Understand who I want to be for you. It's a commitment invitation. It's, a, it's an invitation to go, okay, God, here's what I want from myself. Thank you for already being committed to me. Let's worship. Let's worship.